the final week here of Lucha de Mayo on Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It's episode 421, and I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to week five of this month-long journey looking at luchador genre films, and it's been quite a trip, man. I've had a really good time chatting with everybody, and I think we're going to have a good time chatting with this week's guest as well. Before I get too far ahead of myself, though, I want to let you know that the song that you're hearing right now is from the band The Cosmic Rays. It's from their album The Cosmic Rays Are Go. They are a surf band based out of Everett, Washington, and they spell Rays as in Fave Ray. So The Cosmic W-R-A-Y-S. You can find them at CosmicRays.com. This song is hyperspaced out and you'll hear it in its entirety at the end of the show they give us the okay to run this song on this episode of monster kid radio and if you want to check them out locally if you're in the everett washington area on june 8th they are playing at the blue moon lounge with the bands jenny and the blue moon boys and the moon is flat the show starts at 8 p.m you can learn about their upcoming shows at their website again that's cosmicrays.com i'll make sure there's a link in the show notes all right, let's get down to business. What's happening this week? Well, it's another Luchador monster movie. We're going to be talking about the movie Hellish Spiders, starring my man, Blue Demon. This one, okay, this one had me questioning a few things, but in a really good way. And there's more than one monster connection here. You're just going to have to hear the conversation that I'm having with Kenny Blows. When Kenny comes on to talk about the movie, you know Kenny. Kenny's a guy who's been running the famous Monsters of Filmland segments here on the show, taking a look at that magazine and reflecting on how that magazine reflects on the monster movies that we love so much. This week, you're getting two Kennys. You're getting Kenny two times because he does have a segment about famous Monsters of Filmland, and then he's going to be joining me proper to talk about the movie Hellish Spiders. Kenny's segment is not the only segment you're going to hear this week on the show. Of course, we've got Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Stories presented by Jerry Green, the man behind the Professor Frenzy show. You can learn about that over at ProfessorFrenzy.com. He's got another bedtime story for us, and it's a good one. Okay, I'm going to let the music kind of fade out here for a second because I want to talk about something that's pretty serious. At least it feels serious to me because this is not something that I like doing. And I know, I know so many of you guys and gals over the years at last year's Monster Batch in person, various conversations that I have with you on Twitter, by email or by Facebook or whatever, have told me that Derek, you just got to shut up and let people help you if they want to help. And, you know, I just, I cringe a little bit whenever I do reach out like this. I've launched a GoFundMe campaign. Uh, you can find it at tinyurl.com slash Derek Hotel Bash. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to this as well. The reason I started this GoFundMe campaign is because I'm having trouble getting the money together to pay for the hotel room at this year's Monster Bash in June. Uh, just to kind of give you the short version of the story, at last year's Monster Bash, I went ahead and reserved the rooms for this year's Bash because I wanted to make sure I got the best rate. There was a Bash rate involved, and I just wanted to make sure I got in because I was totally planning on going this year. I also went ahead and arranged for the table for Monster Kid Radio because, well, we got a table. You know, we, we're going to table. It's going to be a lot of fun just like last year. And between the time I got home from Monster Bash last year and, well, now... I was let go from my job. I was fired. You know, since then, Brenda and I have really kind of tightened up our budget and really tried to cut as many corners as we possibly could 
so that I wouldn't necessarily have to go back out and get a nine to five type job. Plus, I was getting unemployment payments coming in at the time. And that was great. You know, it helped pay a lot of the bills and I was able to squirrel a little bit of money away. Great. I critically misunderstood how unemployment works here in Oregon and ran out of money um, about six months before I thought I would. And that's my fault. That's my bad. But since then, because of that, I've had to dip into the money that I was scrolling away from that to take care of other charges. You know, we had some vet bills, especially with our older cat, Samantha, which I've talked about here on the show and on Facebook a while back and just, you know, trying to get on top of everything. Now, I did have enough money set aside for the airfare. Plane ticket has been purchased. That's good. And like I said, I've got the table for Monster Kid Radio and I've got the hotel room reservations ready to go. The issue is, is that I have only enough money right now to afford one night at the hotel room and I need four. Now, if you follow me on Facebook or Twitter or even listen to the end of the show, typically every episode I've been talking about how I've got things going for sale on eBay. I've made some money there, not nearly as much as I need. And unfortunately, because of how bills are kind of landing right now for Brenda and I, all the money that I'm getting from eBay that I intended to pay for the hotel room with has had to go to bills. Here we are. So I set up the GoFundMe campaign to try to, you know, bring in some more funds to help pay for the hotel room. And if I'm able to do that, if there's any extra left over, it means I can buy more than oatmeal and Atkins bars in terms of food while I'm there. (laughs) It's not your responsibility to help me get to Monster Bash. I know this. And a lot of people have bigger issues than this, of course. So if you're not able to help with the campaign, I I totally get that. I understand completely, especially if you're going to Monster Bash yourself. You're going to have your own expenses and that sort of thing. But if nothing else, maybe just share the link on your various social media outlets. Again, that's tinyurl.com slash Derek Hotel Bash. And that would help me make sure I've got money set aside for the hotel room for the bash. Unless something crazy happens financially for Brenda and I between this year and next, I have a feeling that I won't be able to go to Monster Bash next year. So... You know, really just want to kind of get in there and put in a good showing this year. And of course, I'll cover everything that I do at Monster Bash for Monster Kid Radio. So you'll get to hear it here on the show. At least two episodes worth of interviews and events and conversations and panels and who knows what else. You're going to get that on future episodes of the podcast right here. So thank you for letting me talk about this here. Why don't we go ahead and play a little bit more of that song, Hyper Spaced Out. And then we're going to get to Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Story. Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland, and then the conversation with Kenny about hellish spiders. That's all going to happen right after this. Devil God brings life to the dead. No, 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 please. 
please. No, please. No. Death no. to the living. Necromancy. Starring Orson Welles and Pamela Franklin. From Cinerama releasing. In color, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. It's, it's coming, coming back. back. Creatures Con, the Bay Area's classic horror convention, returns to the San Ramon Marriott Sunday, July 7th, with spine-chilling special guests. Hammer horror legend Veronica Carlson, star of Dracula Has Risen from the Grave and Frankenstein Must Be Destroyed, with director Joshua Kennedy attending the West Coast premiere of their newest feature film, House of the Gorgon. Plus, Twin Peaks stars Charlotte Stewart, horror host legend John Stanley, and many, many more. But that's, but that's not, not all. all. You'll see unique CreaturesCon programs like the Monster Movie Quiz and Mega Chiller Theater. You'll shop our dealer's room filled with scary, fun, monstrous merchandise. All this and more at CreaturesCon, the Bay Area's classic horror convention, Sunday, July 7th at the San Ramon Marriott. For tickets and info, go to CreaturesCon.com. It is safe to state that the grandchildren of some of the people in this dinner will not be born on Earth. come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead, zombies guided by a master plan for complete domination of the earth. Plan 9 from outer space. Starring the most frightmarish cast ever, Bella Lugosi, the seductive vampira, and Thor Johnson as the walking dead. Turn off your electrode gun! No! No! Stop him, Dennis! I can't get it! It's jammed! Stop him, you fool! Bullets bounce off their bodies. Rockets, missiles, jets cannot stop their death ships. What earthly power can stop this terror? For a glimpse of things to come, see this blast of screen suspense. For it could be happening right now. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy, show. Welcome to Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Stories, created especially for Monster Kid Radio. My name is Jerry Green. In this segment, I'm going to tell you some stories contained in the EC Horror Comics. Today's story is Death Must Come. It is from the Crypt of Terror number 17, the April-May issue from 1950. Crypt of Terror was the precursor to Tales from the Crypt. It was written by Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein, and the art was by Al Feldstein. So sit back, relax while I tell the spine-tingling story. The old doctor, Henry, visits his much younger-looking friend, Frederick. Thank goodness you came, Frederick says. Henry says that Frederick looks the same as he had 50 years ago. 
Henry says it's only been five years since the last time he called on him. Why such a short time? Flashback to 50 years ago, when the two doctors made a world-changing discovery. They found that aging is caused by a buildup of wax in the system that a gland on the spleen controls. As the gland ages, the wax builds up in the body, causing a person to get old. But if a younger gland was inserted into a body, life would be extended. They decided to operate on Frederick, and when enough time went by, they could present a youthful Frederick to the scientific community as proof of their theory. What could go wrong? Let's find out. Where could they find a fresh gland? The graveyard, of course. The two doctors dig up a college student and perform their operation. 25 years later, Frederick hadn't aged much, but the gland was beginning to wear out, and Frederick was starting to feel it. He called Henry, and against the elders' better judgment, they dug up another body and performed the operation again. 15 years later, they had to do it again. And 10 years later, again. Now it's just five years later, and the operation must be repeated. Soon will it be every year, every week, every day? Henry refuses to do the operation, and Frederick gets upset and slaps him, which gives the elderly Henry a heart attack. Frederick feels the age approaching rapidly and has to act fast now. He feels the age creeping over him. He calls for a messenger to deliver him a telegram. When the kid arrives with the message, he chloroforms him and knocks him out. He gets the kid on the operating table, but is shocked to find that he is missing his spleen. What can Frederick do? He begins to age rapidly, year after year in just minutes until he screams and dies an old, old man. The end. I hope you enjoyed that ghastly tale. The story was a little bit predictable and a little bit repetitive. 15 years, 10 years, 5 years, we get it. Also, the end didn't stick exactly right. I did some editing in my retelling to pace it better. The Crypt Keeper had to help finish off the tale so the missing spleen reference made sense. The tale does have grave robbing, which is always a nice treat in these horror stories. The scientific explanation of age being caused by a waxy buildup is, well... At least they tried. It's no better or worse than unobtainium. With the art, it is cool watching Henry age as the story progresses. He's an old man at the beginning, and in the various flashbacks, he gets older and older. That is the most satisfying part of this story. The art itself is terrific. The faces have a ton of expressiveness and character. One panel shows Henry with Frederick's hands, palms towards him, pleading for his help. And the first of the grave robbing scene is done at kind of a Dutch angle. Feldstein is a master. If you're interested in a copy of Tales from the Crypt Volume 1, this book can be purchased on Amazon, and you can find a link to buy it on the MKR website. I hope you enjoyed the story. My name is Jerry Green, and you can find me on my podcasts, The Professor Frenzy Show, where we talk about new indie comics, and Bat Books for Beginners, where we talk about historical Batman and Bat Family comics. You can also catch me on Twitter at Professor Frenzy and search for Professor Frenzy on YouTube where you can find the Professor Frenzy show and some exciting projects we have coming up. Stay tuned and thanks for listening. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy show. Professor Frenzy, it's a show. Professor Frenzy show.
When this dead hand moves, the monster created by a man they called Mad is turned loose to strike terror into the hearts of men. <laughs> to shock women into uncontrolled hysteria. Elizabeth! To prey upon the innocence of children. This is the story you've heard about, talked about. The spine-tingling, blood-chilling story that stuns your emotions. Frankenstein. Don't touch that! Dr. Tongues, I had that shot. 7129 Northeast Fremont Street. Vintage goofiness from years gone by. Sci-fi and fantasy memorabilia. We specialize in things your mother threw away. And some she didn't. Dr. Tongues Toys. How often has this happened to you? You're on your way home after a long day when suddenly tragedy strikes. No human mind could imagine the enormous destructive power of this maddened, killing thing. It's the kind of thing which can ruin your weekend. To prevent catastrophe, you need the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack. This book features extensively researched methods to help you survive a giant monster event. You'll discover which vehicle you should use for making your escape, which method of counterattack is best for specific types of monsters. Hydrogen weapons, capable of wiping cities, countries off the face of the earth, are completely ineffective against this creature from the skies. And what common mistakes people make while fighting back. So pick up your copy of the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack by Anthony Wendell today on Amazon. You can thank us by surviving. From H.G. Wells, history's most credible prophet, now comes his most incredible story, Empire of the Ants, a terrifying tale of civilization fighting for survival against armies of giant ants ten feet tall who control the human population by drugging them into submission. H.G. Wells, Empire of the Ants, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. They shall inherit the earth sooner than you think. Hola cabezones de Radio de los Niños Monstruos. Soy Kenny con un vistazo a Monstruos Famosos de la Tierra del Cine. In the first four Lucha de Mayo shows, we examined the four-part Mexa Monster article that appeared in 1976. But that was not the first time Mexican horror films were featured in FM. In Famous Monsters number 29, from July of 1964, there was an article entitled Mexa Creatures, which had this strangely worded subtitle. Dig those crazy mixed up monsters from south of the border. Here's the lowdown on how below the boundaries things are down of the USA. Like the articles from the 70s, this look at Mexican monster movies has lists and synopsis of many films, all made before 1964. It starts with this introduction. 
For some time now, scores of vampires, robots, witches, mummies, and many other horrors have in our neighboring country to the south been out to even the score with us North Americans. However, only the most hep of horror fans have been aware of this invasion, and in this article I intend to tell all, at least all I know, about Mexican fright and fantasy films. Unfortunately for those far-gone monster followers who would like to see every creature picture regardless of whether it's in English, Spanish, Germish, or Transylvanialish, most Mexican movies are shown in the USA only for Spanish-speaking audiences. Few are dubbed into English, like the Japanese monster movies, or even given English subtitles. Yet many are made and played in Mexico. The writer continues with quick looks at Misterios de la Ultra Tumba, Mysteries of the Crypt, and the fantasy films Macario, Adam and Eve, and Santa Claus. This general comment follows. Visually, the Mexican horror films show quite a bit of imagination. The monsters are quite as ghastly as those produced anywhere else in the world, and the setting seems to have more atmosphere and character than most low-budget beast pics made in the United States. Another thing to consider is that with this type of film, not being able to understand the dialogue is not necessarily a disadvantage. It leaves a lot to your own imagination. The author then lists different Mexican vampire films and mentions the first mass luchador movies with Neutron. El Hombre y el Monstruo, The Man and the Monster, El Espejo de la Bruja, The Witch's Mirror, El Regreso de Monstro, The Return of the Monster, El Monstro Resucitado, The Resurrected Monster, Pepito y el Monstro, Pepito and the Monster, El Fantasma del Convento, The Phantom of the Convent, and Rostro Infernal, Hellface, all receive brief descriptions before the article ends with a to-be-continued. The second part comes in issue 31 from December of 1964, which dives right in with a synopsis for La Casa del Terror, the House of Terror, starring the comedian Teen Tan and the beloved Lon Chaney Jr. It goes on to mention several films of Luis Buñuel that feature fantasy scenes. The films Echen Me al Vampiro, Throw Me to the Vampire, El Fantasma de la Opereta, La Venganza del Arrocado, The Vengeance of the Hanged, Orlac, El Infierno of Frankenstein, Orlac, Frankenstein's Hell, Conquista de la Luna, Conquest of the Moon, La Barba Azul Moderna, The Modern Bluebeard with Buster Keaton, El Sexo Fuerte, The Stronger Sex, and El Platillo Volador, The Flying Saucer are also covered. The article ends with an alphabetical checklist of 68 Mexican horror, science fiction, and fantasy films, all made before 1964. Monster Kid Radio will never run out of them. Bueno amigos, eso es todo. Nos vemos en el próxima Lucha de Mayo. John Cocorn was the first man to be set up in a satellite and ejected back to Earth. Something's wrong. I'm falling too fast. Go to not, I'm in trouble. The jets aren't breaking my speed. I'm releasing the drag chute. Seven hours and his blood is still alive. Ah! Night of the Blood Beast brings you the first creature on Earth 
bullets cannot kill. This is fantastic. It's unbelievable. Things like this just don't happen. A blood beast that makes a dead man live. Dr. Wyman, half his head's gone. A blood beast that feasts on Earth scientists. The first satellite creature to impregnate man with its chromosomes. It's true. I can feel it inside. The first exploration into living space, exposing secrets too horrifying to reveal. You'll know days of nerve-straining suspense. Vampires. Werewolves. Zombies. Yes, these things are real. But fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's good. Real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural, ghoulish, and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is discreet. Double terror with the late night double feature with X, the fiend from beyond space and the wall people. A crew of interstellar explorers must fight an unstoppable alien fiend from beyond space, hell-bent on consuming them all. Will they survive? Can they survive? And on the same program, a man must fight to save his only child from the clutches of strange invaders who use their advanced technologies to steal sleeping children through their bedroom walls. Are your children safe? Two terrors to tear you apart in the late night double feature. This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night Ah, I mean monster kids can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. You know we can't do a month of luchador monster movies without talking to our man Kenny, the man behind the famous Monsters of Filmland segment, the man who has spent more time with Blue Demon than or Blue Demon Junior, excuse me, than anybody that I know. Kenny, how you doing, man? Doing pretty good. Estamos aquí en México. Now you're just showing off because I can't speak Spanish. I can't even roll my R's. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in trouble now. I'm a super R roller. 
Uh oh. They sometimes the Mexicans make fun of me because I overdo it. <laughs> and you worked out in Mexico, yes? Well, I live in Mexico right now. I actually work in in Arizona. I cross the border every day, and but I live in Mexico. I've been in Mexico now since 1991. I was wow. In, I was in Mexico City for till 2004, and then I moved to the a border town right on the Arizona border. I've been here since uh, 2004 and living in Mexico with my Mexican wife. So, wow. You finally got the Mexican on Lucha de Mayo. Well, you were here last year, too. So, <laughs> and, and you've been on the show before. You know, I mean, you're, you're a dear friend of the show. You're a dear friend of mine. So, you know, mm-hmm. I've got to get you in the mix here, especially when we're going to talk about some of these amazing films uh, that I just absolutely adore. I don't remember how in-depth we went with you and your background with these movies when you were on last year, this month, how long have you been aware of these movies? Like, did you grow up with them? Or? Uh, no, I was actually, well, I knew about them a little bit. And this month you'll be hearing about how famous monsters covered Mexican monster movies. They did a four part series. The monster kid radio heads will be hearing those all month about that four part series, which was like in the middle of my main famous monsters time, like a, a issue started in one, issue 121, I think. And I read about them, but in those days, of course, they weren't available. There was no way to see them. When I lived in Mexico, I knew about them and I would see them on occasion, but I didn't, as far as like, oh, they're on TV right now. The one time I remember is like, oh, here's a Santo and Blue Demon movie, but it was like this really boring part of the movie where they were standing around in their suits and turtlenecks talking. That's really, <laughs> this is, I just couldn't get into it. So I never really got into it. And it, and they're not as popular as they are with monster kids here in the United States, in the United States. So it would be rare to see them. And I, in fact, when I started getting into them was through monster bash. And I was amazed that their expert on Mexican monsters movie is this guy from Pittsburgh. Who's never been to Mexico. <laughs> Bob Cotter, and he just loves these movies. And then I got to know uh, Juan Ortiz, who's also a big super fan and sells a lot of the movies um, on DVD. And that's how I kind of got into it. And then my first full Monster Bash, I decided, well, I can speak Spanish. Why don't I do something fun for the Monster Bashers? So I got a Santo mask, and I went dressed as Santo, and I got on stage, and I did this big rant about monster hunters, how American monster hunters are no good and this and that in Spanish, (laughs) totally in Spanish. (laughs) And it was just, it was fun and they loved it. And I did it a couple more times. They did a prehistoric bash and there wasn't really any good Mexican dinosaur movies. So I made one. (laughs) And you showed that around. Uh, You you were passing your phone around to show people the batch last year. And that was amazing. Yeah, it was uh, like a combination of uh, Santo and Ray Harryhausen. I don't know how I did it. I couldn't explain to you how I did it, how I had time to do it. But as I watch it now, I was like, this is pretty amazing. (laughs) But it was a lot of fun. It's on Facebook. Cool. But yeah, it's called... uh, Santo versus the great-grandson of Guanji. So, <laughs> so I bring it into modern times, and um, it has everything a Santo movie has. It has wrestling. It has him driving around, this time in a helicopter, and then it has him fighting a monster. So what else could you want? And it right, that, about that's it. Minutes. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that kind of encapsulates the spirit of these movies, right? That's pretty much yeah. it. 
So it, it's a lot of fun. And and after I did that, I, I, I kind of got away from that. But I still haven't really seen that many of these movies. I haven't really sought them out. Like I say, here in Mexico, they're not as popular. I, I sent... I wanted to get some stuff to take to Monster Bash to give to friends, some pictures and things. So I sent my sister-in-law, who lives in Mexico City, I said, can you go and find me some Santos stuff? And so she went downtown into these paper stores and to places where you can get things. And they would, she would say, oh, do you have anything Santo or Blue Demon? And she said they laughed at her. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of out of style. But there are people down there still that love it, but it's just not as popular as you think it might be. But the wrestling's still big, and there's still a lot of wrestling fans. It's just they have different heroes, and there's not that... I don't think they make wrestling movies anymore. I haven't seen about any lately. Every once in a while, you'll see something up here in the States. You know, the WWE will do something. They've got their little film division, and they made, like, what, six movies? The Marine, part one, two, three, four, five, whatever. But, mm-hmm. yeah, you don't really see, like, the luchador-style monster movies or just movies in general, I think. No, Moscris did a couple within the past 10, 15 years, but it's not really a thing anymore, which, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, it's really too bad. <laughs> and I, I can imagine, as I watch this movie, uh, part of the movie that we're going to talk about, which we haven't even named yet, <laughs> but uh, so I chose for us to watch uh, Arañas Internales, Hellish Spiders. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> and this is like one of the uh, Blue Demon solo films i imagined as i was watching it kind of uh you know it has its appeal but at the same time i feel like hey this is a cash grab hey we're gonna make some money on this because it's cheap but i'm sure that it had its audience and what i think happened happened in mexico is the wrestlers got popular and they would do tours they would probably go to the big cities and even to smaller towns and do wrestling thing and and the, the fans would come out like crazy, but it's like, well, how can we uh, capitalize on this? And I think that's when they started making movies, and so they could take it. They could take a road show out anywhere and and mm-hmm. bring these wrestlers to people everywhere. That's why when you watch one of these Mexican wrestlers movies, what it is is a bunch of wrestling with a little story around it. <laughs> You're not wrong, sir. You are not wrong. <laughs> and I think it was a way for them to get wrestling out to everybody and in that same vein, make money from it. At the same time, I can imagine, I was, I was imagining in a, a small Mexican town, they bring up, someone comes with a truck, a little 16 millimeter projector, a big screen. They're out there selling their tacos and the corn on the cob covered with cheese and cream and chili and people just sitting around and watching this out in the street, watching these movies and cheering along with the movies. And it would just be a blast. Sure. And I was and that you don't have that you don't need that anymore. You know, everyone has a cell phone, everyone has stream, everyone has everything. So you don't have that kind of roadshow atmosphere, but I'm sure that's how they would do that in, in those days when people didn't have a lot of entertainment. People there were a lot of Mexican towns there wasn't a movie theater. But they could take these movies out on the road and, and people would love it. Well, and along those same lines, a lot of these smaller Mexican towns, my understanding didn't have access to the wrestling venues. Wrestlers didn't come to their city. There weren't matches or, or, or whatever happening. Right. So the only place to see some of it is in these films. Yes, and I think that's so, I think that's why they, they made so many of them. I mean, you could look mm-hmm. through the years in the 60s, there'd be, you know, five to ten wrestling movies, you know, a year would come out. And, uh, sure. And I think they were popular because that one might be their only 
way to get wrestling to people, good wrestling to people. And I think it was one of the few entertainments that people had. In this town where I'm at, um, we have one movie theater, and sometimes they have a rodeo, sometimes they have a drag races, and sometimes they'll have wrestling. <laughs> and that's our entertainment. That's all we have. So <laughs> I want to mention a couple of the names, or go back to some of the names that you mentioned earlier. Bob Cotter literally wrote the book on this subgenre uh, with the book The Mexican Masked Wrestler and Monster Filmography, which I'm holding in my hands right now. Kenny just made a comment about how many of these movies they made. Bob wouldn't have been able to make or write a book like this if they didn't make enough of these films. And this book's over 200 pages long. I mean, there, there is a lot of material in this book. And man, just the number of films in this subgenre. I highly recommend this book. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes for people to check it out. And then Juan Ortiz is a man behind Fifth Dimension Films. He's also a, he's pretty much a regular co-host now over at the B-Movie cast. He's like the expert of experts. <laughs> he knows a lot about these movies and the, the, how they were made and who made them and what person was in and what movie and pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a good dude. And they're both regular attendees at Monster Bash. Bob Cotter is hard to miss because at least one of the nights of Monster Bash, he dresses up as Kolchak. Yes. Uh, so you'll be able to see him, and then Juan's always got a table set up as well. In fact, the copy of the movie that I have of Hellish Spiders came from Fifth Dimension Films, courtesy of Juan, and, well, you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys hooked me up with a copy of that. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, before we start talking about the movie and that sort of thing, I, I want to ask you, because you've seen a handful of these now over the years, you've watched the Santo films, you've watched the Blue Demon films, how would you describe the difference between the two, or is there a difference? Well, I'll be honest with you. This is my first solo Blue Demon film oh. that I've watched. Okay. And it was interesting. When I was with Blue Demon Jr., it's going to be five years ago now, I asked him, what would you consider the best film that your dad made? And he said, Santo and Blue Demon versus the Monsters, which happened to be the same film that they showed at the uh, Monster Bash that year. And I thought to myself, I would think that he would have chosen one of the solo films, one of the films where he was by himself. And I watched Santo and Blue Demon versus the Monsters, and Blue Demon's role in that was very minimal. He gets captured by the bad guys and turned into basically a wrestling zombie for a, for a while, and you don't see him for a lot of the movie. He doesn't do a lot of acting or anything. And I thought, why would that, you know? <laughs> and so I thought, well, I wanted to see one of the solo ones. Are they that bad? that he wouldn't say, no, my best, the best film my dad made was this one. And um, just based on this one, which has a very similar story to the one we covered a couple years ago, Santo versus the Martian Invasion, which is basically an invasion movie. This is an invasion movie. I can't give you a big general because I haven't seen that many of the Blue Demon films, but comparing these two, I would say the Blue Demon films didn't have as good a budget. Because Santo versus the Martian Invasion looks a lot better. Had uh, more of a story. Their sets were better. There was a lot of different aspects of it that are better. This film, again, I feel like they made it on the cheap. <laughs> we're going to talk about some of the things that they borrowed or stole, however you want to look at that. But I think, <laughs> but it's, but I, <laughs> but I feel like they, they were, this film was cheaper. And I think, my my feeling is because Blue Demon Jr. said that the Santa film with his dad was better than any of his solo films, that that might be the case for all of them. Okay. That's a guess. That's a guess because I, 
like I say, I even though I live in Mexico, I have not had that opportunity. I haven't I haven't really taken it either. I could go and say, oh, okay, well, I'm give me all these movies, but I just I can't afford that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I wish I could say, oh, they're on TV a lot here. They're not, so I haven't seen that many. But based on what I have seen, I would guess that that is the big difference between them. That the Blue Demon films were made on the cheap, and the Santo films they had a higher budget, based on what I've seen, and they were made the same year. Arañas Infernales and Santo contra la Invasión Marciano were made, both made in 1966, and they're they're quite different in the quality. That's one way to put it. Um, <laughs> there there is a noticeable difference, both visually and audio-wise, uh, between this film and some of the other Santo films. Now, I don't want to get too far into this, though, without doing something that we do every time we have somebody on the show now, though. Oh, I'm ready for it. So, all right, we're going to play a round of the Classic Five. I have a deck of cards here. Each one of these cards has a this or that. Which movie do you prefer style question on them? They're all about classic monster movies, genre films. There are no wrong answers, and we're going to play a round of it with Kenny. Are you ready to play, sir? I am ready. All right, here we go. Card number one from the still in production second core deck. All right. Card number one. What is your favorite non-Lon Chaney werewolf movie? Favorite non-Lon Chaney werewolf movie. I would say the first one that comes to my mind and more for nostalgic reasons is Curse of the Werewolf with uh, Oliver Reed, the Hammer werewolf movie. The Curse of the Werewolf that was laid on a baby who grew into a man possessed by a monster. To this Spanish town, the night brought drinking and dancing, music and girls, and the moon. The full moon that turned an innocent man into a savage beast. The curse of the werewolf. A man possessed by a desperate need for love, who found in Christina all the passionate sincerity of youth. Christina, do you love me? Will you marry me, Christina? You say you love me, will you marry me? Yes. Yes, I will. As I watch it today, I feel like there's not enough of the werewolf, but the werewolf is so cool in that movie. Another one that's nostalgic, but I, I struggle to watch it today, but it was one of my favorite movies as a kid. I saw it on a double feature in the early 70s with That's right. Was <laughs> on a double feature with The Boy Who Cried Werewolf, which had Kerwin Matthews Sinbad as a werewolf. And I thought the werewolf was really cool in that movie. I got that on DVD. I thought, oh, I'm going to relive my childhood. And it's really a bad movie. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear that, man. <laughs> it just didn't live up to I don't know what about it when I watched it the first time. But I, I was the werewolf and the wolfman were my favorite monster as a kid. And um, those two movies were part of that reason. And I think Curse of the Werewolf, even though the werewolf doesn't appear that much in the movie as, as, as we would like, but that werewolf design is all over famous monsters and the monster cards that we had. And it's, I think it's the coolest werewolf design. 
it really does have a cool look. You right now to just having that white shirt that's all kind of torn up, but some of the cuffs are still intact on it. Mm. Uh, just the, the costuming choices in that uh, for that werewolf it's bled over into other things as well. For me, uh, I, I really like the design as well. Uh, and I love the movie from the 80s, The Monster Squad. Okay. And you can't tell me that the Wolfman in that is not at least partly inspired by Hammer's werewolf uh-huh. with the costuming choices they make with yeah. him. Yeah, and then if you, so. if you want to get into the 80s, uh, you know, I was a prime age for the howling in American Werewolf in London. Mm. I like the howling better. Those are classics, too. Oh, I agree. I agree. All right, card number two. If you could live inside any classic monster movie, which one would it be? Wow. I would like to take the one that takes place in the future. <laughs> there you go. The first thing that comes to my mind is, like, this island Earth. To be able to go to another planet and be kind of like a future thing. And, and I know this is more science fiction, but it has a cool monster forbidden planet, you know, just being in that, that future. I like future futuristic architecture. I like the futuristic ideas and the cleanliness. And as far as, okay, I want to be someplace, you know, I don't really want to deal with the monsters, but I'd like to live in that place in that spaceship forbidden planet. Or, or on the on the planet from this island Earth <laughs> before it got destroyed. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that. Um, <laughs> right on. Very cool. All right. Uh, card number three. What is your favorite classic horror or suspense television series? I would say the Twilight Zone. You know, it's the first thing that comes to my mind. I'm a big Star Trek fan, too, if that falls into this category. Hey, why not? But, but, I'll take it. But, uh, and I gave The Outer Limits a second look a few years ago. I got the DVD set for that. And when I watched it as a kid, it went over my head. I couldn't understand it. And I didn't like it that much. But I liked the monsters. I had like a collection of The Outer Limit monsters on these old trading cards. And they were cool. Oh. But when I'd watched the show, I was like, I don't get it. But now when I watched it as an adult – those were very, very well-written shows as well. So you know, I, I look at The Twilight Zone and The Outer Limits, and you compare that to the movies that were coming out during those years, the late 50s, early 60s, and it's kind of like today. Sometimes, for the most part, what was on when television is better than what's coming out in the movie theaters. I think that's true today, too where you're seeing like a golden, the second golden age of television. I think back in the 60s, especially for science fiction horror, what you had with Twilight Zone and the Outer Limits, when you compare it to what else were we having, like the first film I think of 1960s, Plan 9 from Outer Space, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> what's better? What's better, Twilight Zone or Plan 9 from Outer Space? Well, I think television. Well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we, I guess it depends on the episode, but uh, for the most part. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, you know I love me some Plan 9, but yeah, in terms of uh, competent storytelling, yeah, Twilight Zone probably trumps that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's see. Card number four from the Universal deck. Do you prefer Edward Van Sloan as Dracula's Van Helsing, Frankenstein's Dr. Waldman, or the Mummy's Dr. Mueller? I'm going to say Van Helsing. I feel like he had a meteor role there. I love Frankenstein, and I remember his role in that, but I, I thought it was short. I can't remember him in The Mummy, but uh, as Van Helsing, I thought he was did a fine job. 
And I've often wondered, I've, I've had that desire when I was in college, I went to see a college theater group put on Dracula. Ooh. And the guy who played Renfield did a horrible job. And I thought, I want to do that someday. I want to play Renfield in the play Dracula. Well, the age I am now, I kind of given that idea up. But I thought, you know what? If the Yuma Community Theater ever does Dracula, I'm going to go and try out for Van Helsing. But will I do the Van Sloan version or the Peter Cushion version? That's what I have to make my decision. I would I would study Edward Van Sloan. I think I'd do better at him. I think I look more like him than I do Peter Cushing. <laughs> <laughs> huh. You know, listening to you speak, though, and, and I've heard in a number of podcasts, both here and like Collins uh, to the B-Movie cast and, and, you know, being at Monster Bash, I could hear you doing the voice of Renfield if you really wanted to on something. <laughs> yes! Goosebumps, man! Goosebumps! Oh, man. I love that laugh when he's coming out of the ship. That is so cool. Oh, man. Oh, man. I love that. Oh, man. All right. All right. Focus, Derek. Focus. Okay. All right. Final card. Final uh, question from the core deck. Bert I. Gordon or Roger Corman? Roger Corman. Yeah? Yeah. Long shot for me. I, I mean, I like the topics that Bert I. Gordon did. The giant monsters are really my favorite. Mm-hmm. But the quality of Roger Corman's work in the Poe films uh, and, you know, the fact that he was able to get Karloff and Vincent Price and, and that uh, they're just they're just better movies. And I enjoy them. I enjoy both. But I think Roger Corman comes out better for me. And like if I was a Bird Eye Gordon fan before I knew who he was because I saw his 70 films in the theater, The Empire of the Ants and Food of the Gods. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but we, even as kids, we recognize their cheese factor and you know, we're laughing at them as much as scared of them. But uh, Roger Corman, I feel like he captured and, and some of his films, they're actually very good. You know, ones where they're scripted by Charles Beaumont. Oh, yeah. And one film that I fell in love with, I mean, it's a terrible theme. It has nothing to do with monsters, but actually it's a human monster. And that was uh, The Intruder with William Shatner. That movie is so good and moving and mind-blowing. So good. Yeah, I think that shows that Roger Corman set his mind to it. He could be a good filmmaker. He was about making money and doing it on the cheap, but he could be a good filmmaker. That brilliance shown through. I think Birdie Gordon, I think he tried hard. I always felt kind of like he was a poor man's Ray Harryhausen. He was kind of like following up and trying to do what Harryhausen did on the cheap. And um, sometimes it was okay, and sometimes it wasn't that good. Hmm. They're they're fun, they're enjoyable, but they're not as good as Roger Corman's films. You see that. It's it's like kind of comparing apples and oranges because Roger Corman didn't do a lot of the giant monster movies and Bird Eye Gordon. And some of the Bird Eye Gordon films, I watched one that he did – Later on, that was more of a horror film, like Necromancy, I just watched not too long ago. What did you think of that? Eh, it was okay. You know, it was one of those films that I saw in Famous Monsters. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about Bird Eye Gordon, he, he must have been friends with Corey Ackerman, because any movie he put out, they would get a big write-up in uh, Famous Monsters. You know, if you remember in the your Metropolis show, he was actually thinking of remaking Metropolis. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been interesting. Bird Eye Gordon's Metropolis. That would have been an interesting remake. Of course, that never happened. But uh, I've met Bird Eye Gordon at Monster Bash. He mm-hmm. was a, a regular attender there. He's a friendly guy. His films are fun, but not as good as Roger Corman. 
Friends. Well, that was a round of the Classic Five. Uh, I always love playing this game, especially with longtime friends of the show, because uh, you get to learn new things about people. And, you know, I, I'm in agreement with you on a lot of what you said, which is another reason why we get along so well. So <laughs> there we go. All right, let's get back to the Luchador. So I, I really ought to have some Luchador questions in here. I really should. I don't know if it's too niche or not, but... You know, there's so many of them, and I adore them all in one way or another. Some of them not as much, but man, they're just fun. There's a vibe that these movies have, even when they inadvertently try not to, because this movie's music is <laughs> so not of the typical luchador thing uh, for me. One of the things uh -huh. I love about these luchador films, especially once you get into like the color movies, is the music is just so wacky. Yeah, it's all over the place. <laughs> but in this, this music, <laughs> yeah, it comes from somewhere else. <laughs> yes. And, and I've set up a little game here, if we want to try this now. I think I thought it was interesting when this movie starts with that famous logo from Columbia Pictures. I was surprised to see that. You know, and I thought, wow, man, you know. Columbia Pictures, that's the, the studio that uh, launched Frank Capra's career. You know, uh, you know, it happened one night in other classic films, Frank Capra. It's the studio that launched the Three Stooges, you know, classic comedy. And, of course, it was the studio for many of Ray Harryhausen and Charles H. Neer's films. So I thought, well, this is not bad. It can't be that bad. And then uh, <clears throat> to get started, one of the first things we see is uh, scenes stolen, borrowed from... Plan 9 from outer space. <laughs> we, see, we see their spaceships. And then there was another scene that was taken directly. I mean, a good two, maybe two, three minute sequence from teenagers from outer space. I thought, well, if this is a Columbia picture, why didn't they use Earth versus flying saucers? Like uh, Giant Claw did that. You know, the Giant Claw used some of the destruction scenes from Earth versus flying saucers. Why couldn't they have used some of the Earth versus Flying Saucer scenes for this? Why did they choose Plan 9 from Outer Space, the flying pie platters? But there they were. <laughs> and another thing that was very recognizable, like you were mentioning just now, was the music. And I was like, this music is very, very familiar to me. And I know that you're a big soundtrack fan, like I am. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, let's do a little... Name that tune. <laughs> okay. And see if you can figure out what movies these different clips are from. So I pull out some clips, and I'm going to have you play them. Folks will hear it, and then we'll see if you can figure out which movie that was from. I think some will be instantly recognizable. Some you might know. And if you didn't cheat, you might miss a couple. <laughs> so let's go with... If you didn't cheat... <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I just jumped on. I was like, I know where this is from. I was I didn't know the exact movies of each one, but I had a way to find out really quick. And uh, so let's see. Can you play a clip that comes from 6.59 in the movie uh, Arañas Infernales with the Blue Demon? Clip 6.59. 6.59 in. Let's hear that movie. Okay. Hmm. So I'm, I'm listening to it and I'm going to be honest with you, man. When I'm watching the movies the first time, some of this music 
I immediately recognized as, okay, <laughs> this is not something they shot or they recorded in Mexico. This is all lifted from something else. This sounds a lot like, is it the mole people? Is it from the mole no, people? No, Close. Oh, man. It is universal, though. Uh-huh. This is a movie. It was scored by the guy who scored the Pink Panther, actually. It's the third part of what I would think is your favorite movie series from the 50s from Universal. Is it from a creature film? Creature Walks Among Us. Oh, there we go. Okay. So that clip that you heard, you'll you'll hear it several times in this movie, but that's just one of many movies that you'll be uh, hearing. So let's go on to the next one and see if you can figure the next one out. It's 837 into the movie. And let's take a listen to this clip and name that tune. I'm listening to it now. Well, that's more creature. I just mentioned it in the classic five, another classic universal film. A little bit more science fiction than monster. Oh wait, no, this is not creature. You're right. It's still playing here. Now, in my defense, (laughs) a lot of the creature music got turned into library music and used all over the place and vice versa. So, Mm -hmm. you know. It could be be repeated. But this particular clip Mm -hmm. is from the film. This Island Island Earth. Okay. Island Earth. All right. So let's go on to the next one. You know, I'm just going to say they're all from creature, right? (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) Until, Until you hear the one you know is probably the creature that's there. Let's go to 1915 in the movie. 1915, 19 minutes, 15 seconds. And let's hear this clip and see if you can name that too. Okay, I'm not going to say it's from a creature film. Am I wrong? (laughs) You're right about that. And actually... Is actually another clip from the same track of this island Earth continuation, and that's the thing you'll you'll notice in this film as soundtrack fans as you watch Aranias Infernales, Hellish Spiders with Blue Demon. You will notice and hear this music over and over and again, and they they mix it and they 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 put one together with another. It was, it was kind of interesting how they actually edited the music. Okay, so let's go on. To the next clip, 4219 into the film, and I think this one should be easy for you. Oh yeah, there's the creature stinger right there, baby. That's it. (laughs) The Hans J. Salter, famous creature from the Black Lagoon, and that stinger, which is heard many, many times, but that's clearly from the original feature film. All right, let's go on to the next one. It's a little switch of uh, uh, the times of the movies and the source of the movie, but it's very interesting. If you go to 44, 45, you'll hear this clip of music. Name that tune. Oh, yeah. Okay. You got it. Oh, yeah. You got to know. Come on. Oh, yeah. Come on. Yeah, it's a hammer film, man. Yeah. Is, is it Dracula? Yeah. There we go. 
Or of Dracula, as it's known to us in the United States. It's old Dracula in England. That's James Bernard's music. Uh, borrowed, stolen, however you want to call it. For Arañas Infernales. Let's go on to the next clip. 52.25 into the movie. We'll hear this music. And you thought one of the clips might be from this movie, but this is actually from that movie. Let's see if you can name that All too. Right. Oh yeah, that's mole people. That's that's hands down. There you yeah. go, and that's the, the this the one of the strangest scenes in this movie where the girl, the the heroine of the film, goes and looks for the spider queen for no apparent reason. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't tell anybody. She goes by herself. She doesn't have any particular reason to do so, but she is uh, wandering around, and that was like perfect music for that. Right after that music, we hear a clip, and this is another interesting juxtaposition of the music editing. So let's go to the next clip, which is 53 minutes in, which is only 35 seconds after uh, the Mole People clip. And let's play that and see if you can name this tune. Okay. That little jazz is going on there. Yeah. It's another universal, I think. It's one of my favorite Jack Arnold films. Oh, there we go. There we go. Yeah, Shrinking Man, right? Incredible Shrinking Man? Yes. Yeah. Good job. Incredible Shrinking Man, Fred Carling and Ed Lawrence. That wah, wah, yeah, that's what I needed to hear. I like the, the jazzy <laughs> stuff. I'm like, okay, I think I got it. But then, uh, da, na, na. <laughs> all right. So let's go to the last clip. And this one's interesting, too. We're going to kind of go back in time. At one hour and 14 minutes into this film, we hear this clip of music. Hmm. I'm going to start that over. See, the beginning of it starts like a creature bit. Then it turns into this weird march. I'm not trying to place it. One of the great rally films. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm okay. When you said rally films, I think my brain finally locked it in. Is it House of Frankenstein? Yes. Here we go. Shoots and scores. There we go. <laughs> did I redeem yeah. myself from botching it at the very beginning? Yeah, he did pretty good at the end there. This music was so familiar to me because I actually have a disc. It's a CD that I bought uh, probably in the mid early mid nineties. It was produced in 1993. It was called Themes from Classic Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror. I film. have that CD as well. No, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I remember, I haven't listened to it in a while because since then I've gotten full score albums for all the movies on that disc. But I remember when I was listening to it, I always thought it was odd that Horror of Dracula was in there with things from like, uh, is like Deadly Mantis and Tarantula on that disc as well. I always thought it was a weird mix, yeah. which again happened in this film too, just like you said earlier with the music thing. Uh-huh. Huh. 
the, the interesting thing, this was actually a, an LP that was released and sold through Captain Company and Famous Monsters. And I went back to find its first appearance there. It was a big one full page ad in Famous Monsters number seven. June of 1960 was the first time wow. this record, which was, at that time was just themes from horror films. They didn't have the science fiction and fantasy films because, and which the newer version is a better title because this is a combination of all different kinds of movies. Um, but it was sold through Captain Company. So I imagine these guys in Mexico, they had their, what are we going to use for music? <laughs> and they pulled out this disc. And they put together a music score for a wrestling movie. <laughs> All these songs were on that disc, on that LP. <laughs> to be clear, Amazing. you could not make a movie like that today. They probably shouldn't have done it then. <laughs> but, wow, this movie. So we start with the Columbia opening graphic with Lady Columbia there. I don't know if she's got an official name or not. With the torch, you know, the Columbia Pictures opening. We go to the Plan 9 from Outer Space mothership. And we're playing music from Universal releases for the entire thing. This movie is such a weird mix of <laughs> a grab bag of stuff. If you can get over the violation of copyright law that we're obviously seeing here, if you can get over that, you can take it as a, a nostalgic trip through Monster Kid time. You know? Yeah, there you go. This movie's got it all for you. <laughs> <laughs> and then you throw in, let's see, I calculated. One of my famous things I like to do is calculate how much we see a particular monster. I've done this for a number of Harryhausen films. I did it for your favorite creature of the Black Lagoon. And I calculated here for this movie, how much wrestling will we have? And we have a number of instances of ring wrestling and then what I call location wrestling, which is part of the plot, okay. which usually are just like slap fests because they can't do any body slams out in the middle of the street. At least they shouldn't. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we have a total in this film of the 82 minutes, 27 minutes and 44 seconds of wrestling. So it's about 40%. Which is, wrestling. seems like a lot. It seems like a lot. And at the same time, I think the other film that I, we did together, the Santa versus the Martian invasion, I feel like there was more wrestling in that movie than this one. But, uh, but yeah, there was a lot of ring wrestling in this movie. And again, a lot of times. And another thing I thought was funny about this, there was a couple of occasions in the story. Mm -hmm. First of all, for example, Santo and his buddy are driving down the road and this guy passes him and then this ray beam hits the car <laughs> and he burns up, you know, and it's like, this is strange. What's going on? And then, of course, uh, Blue Demon, uh, being a physicist, obviously, of course, <laughs> explains everything exactly about spontaneous combustion and neutrinos and all that. <laughs> not not a word that I expected to stumble across in the subtitles of this movie. Neutrinos. Like, wh what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but then, uh, then right after that, they go to Mexico's Morris Ancrum to figure out what the military is going to do about the situation. No. Blue Demon is back in the ring, wrestling again. Priorities, man. <laughs> then, okay, the story goes on a little bit further. Him and the police detective and the, his friend and his girlfriend, they all go out to this park or cemetery, whatever it is, <laughs> and they get blasted by a paralyzing ray. He gets in a big wrestling fight with strange alien wrestlers, and they're like, what's going on? We're confused, and they go, how, how are we paralyzed? And then they show the fighter queen talking with her minions for a little bit. 
And the next thing that Blue Demon is doing, is he there talking with the, the generals of the Mexican Air Force to figure out what they're going to do? No, he's back in the ring, <laughs> wrestling again. <laughs> It blew my mind to see that. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, they, they, I felt like this movie was kind of padded out by a lot of that. But at the beginning of the movie, too, there's a conversation that Blue, Blue Demon's having with his buddy about how, you know, he's only got one more match to do, you know, that I'm going to take a break. So it's kind of like implied that maybe that's all we're going to see of the wrestling. No, there's a ton <laughs> throughout this yeah. film. And we definitely see here that Blue Demon's a full bore, total, complete hero because we see him do mechanics we see that he is a physicist. He also is a philosopher. He's a detective. He's a great sports car driver. And, of course, he's a wrestler. So, man, he's an all-around hero. He doesn't need to be bulletproof. He has so many skills behind him. <laughs> he, sure win. he can beat any alien wrestler that comes around. <laughs> well, and you say alien wrestler. Uh, this movie probably has one of my absolute favorite wrestling scenes that was shot specifically for the film. I think we've talked about it before. A lot of times these wrestling matches in these movies were not really shot for the film. They were just kind of archival footage or, or an actual wrestling match somewhere else that they repurposed for the movie. This one has a really cool wrestling moment with Blue Demon and one of the villains. And I don't know if we want to talk about it just yet, but uh, I thought it was really neat. <laughs> but I think you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. We're talking about the uh, spider hand. Okay, let's talk about it. Yeah, the spider <laughs> hand. Because <laughs> it's cool, man. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would be something fun to have. <laughs> that That's a heck of a special move to have in wrestling, a signature move. I, You yeah. know, I watch, I watch modern-day wrestling. I watch WWE and a few of the other promotions, and they all have their signature moves, that sort of thing. But nobody has the ability to have their hand turn into a spider that can deliver venomous bites that kills basically immediately. I've never mm -hmm. seen that before. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and that, I was amazed. I watched the film just before we started this, and I was amazed. I was like, did I, the first time I watched it, I was like, did I see him kill, just kill the main detective guy? <laughs> and he did. I mean, some other guy says, Lieutenant, go, go see what's happening. But it was the main detective that Blue Demon's been dealing with. And he goes, you know, he says, hey, stop. And the guy bites him. The spider hand bites him. And he dies. It's like, oh, my gosh, that's pretty intense. <laughs> I did not expect that either. <laughs> yeah. Um, leading up to this whole thing with the spider hand transformation, I thought they handled it really neat. The hand slowly getting more and more transformed into something you know it gets a little mm -hmm. darker a little hairier a little fuzzier and then eventually it goes to the full-on hand a uh, spider hand mm -hmm. which i think is also the same model they used whenever they wanted to show a big spider somewhere yeah but, they were yeah they, <laughs> it was like the same the, the the spider queen had a few looks to her <laughs> yeah and that spider hand was one of them <laughs> But I really liked that. I thought that was a neat touch that I was not expecting. Uh, and that it, you're right, they killed the main, uh, <laughs> the main guy. Like, I, what? <laughs> yeah, that was, that was kind of a shocking thing that, that they would do something. And that, to me, that's also all of this that we're talking about. Like, you know, they go through this horrible stuff and then they're wrestling and they go through another horrible thing and they're wrestling and then they kill the main guy. It's all kind of like a cultural aspect of Mexican culture. It's like, well, death is a part of life. And when something crazy happens, we get over it and we have a party the next day. And I think this film kind of reflects some aspects of that culture. 
I don't know if intentionally or not, or if that's just a natural thing for them. Living here, I have seen that as part of the culture. Death is laughed at. You know, you hear about, uh, you know, Halloween time in Mexico is actually the Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. And the people go to the cemeteries and they'll have a big picnic and they leave a bunch of food for their defunct, you know, and it's like a big party. Death is laughed at and uh, made fun of. You know, like the, the popular uh, animated film that came out a couple years ago, Coco, mm-hmm. was all about the Day of the Dead. For me, it was kind of shocking because uh, I was—I didn't have that feeling about death. I was kind of like scared of it. But here in Mexico, they kind of look at it in a light way, which I don't think is a bad thing. It's one of the positive aspects of their culture. I still need to watch Coco. I hear there's a Santo um, cameo in there, so I, I need to see it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you do. <laughs> but, movie. yeah, I, I could see that. You know, and this is one of the things that I love about these movies. I've talked about it on the show repeatedly that not only are you watching a cool monster movie or, or luchador film or science fiction film or whatever, uh, from the past, you're also getting a look into how they thought about things and how they approached certain things in life or death. And wow, suddenly this movie just got really deep. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought it, right? Who would have thought that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you did say you did say he's a philosopher in this film, so there you go. <laughs> Reminds me, there's one particular line that I got a kick out of. Blue Demon is wrestling with with his friend, and you know he's not a wrestler. Mm-hmm. And you know, and the guy's like, oh, I got to stop it. He goes, you know, look how tired he is. He says to the other person, look how tired he is. If I was from another world, he'd be dead. Ha 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 ha. Okay, All right. I hope he doesn't have to fight the alien wrestler. <laughs> right. <laughs> which, which again, I get a kick out of both in this and the Santo versus the Martian invasion. It's like this, this guy comes, he's, they're bringing him. They're really, you know, he's coming from across the galaxy. Uh, he comes and he says, well, we'll just get him with our death ray. And the spider queen says, no, no, he's too much of a good specimen. We need to capture him. <laughs> he says, okay. And he signs up with a promoter. And he becomes a wrestler. <laughs> so, yeah, wrestlers from space. <laughs> Why not? And the, <laughs> they have the doctor check on them all before they go in the ring, right? To make sure they're in good condition. And yes. the doctor goes to check on the alien. Forget the character's name. Uh, Ornak or something like that. Well, he called himself Ornak for the wrestling, but the Spider Queen called him Arak. So I guess he didn't want to give up his secret identity. Oh, so he sure. Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But the doctor puts the stethoscope on him, has a confused look on his face. It's as if you don't have a heart. I don't. Oh, okay. And then the doctor just leaves. Yeah. <laughs> You're clear to go. No problems. You can wrestle all you want. It's like, <laughs> Why am I doing this? You know? Then you realize, well, those doctor examinations, they're just probably, he's probably some cousin of the promoter. And he's making some <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. In case there's a problem for like insurance purposes. Oh yeah. We really did have somebody check. See, he's on a stethoscope and everything. <laughs> Can, I love the world of these films. I really do. I, I don't know if I do very well living in a world like this. But a world in which the luchadors are treated as if they are modern day heroes, superheroes, they are consulted on police cases, they get in the ring and everybody cheers for them. Uh, they need to go on an adventure and stop some spies or a mummy or go to the Bermuda Triangle for something. Yeah, no big deal. I just love this world. Mm-hmm. Just something about yeah. it. I'm sure that part of it, they, the capitalists, I, we, we want to make money on these things. 
but they knew how to draw in the audience that they wanted to draw in. Yeah. The young people, the kids, you know, and it's totally ludicrous. It's ridiculous at times. But <laughs> the one thing that, that these aren't bad movies because they are never boring. Right. And that's the thing, they right? It's what we talk the, about all the time here on the show. The first time as I watched this, the first time I was like, this is really cheesy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the first thing, the first special effect you see is stolen from Plan 9 from Outer Space. It's like, this is the height of cheesiness. It's like, you know what you're in for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, and my third viewing of it, the thought that came to my mind is, at least it's not boring. Mm-hmm. And I've seen films, and I've been, I'm a person who has tried to be universal in my film viewing. I don't just watch, I love the monster movies, but I don't just watch that. Since I've been in college, I've been going into the art house and the independent and every kind of film. Yeah, I think I think that's important. Yeah, I've seen so many films that are highly touted by critics, film historians and everything, but they're boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're boring. And I don't see how they're great. But this, these films would probably not be watched by those people are actually fun and they're never boring. Yeah. I think that's one of the things when you're, as the listener out there, if you're like, well, should I watch these films or not? If you want to have a good time watching a movie, put your mind at the door. Don't worry about you know, all the crazy stuff. Just have fun with it. You'll love any Mexican wrestling movie. They're never boring. They never are, even if they don't have monsters in them. I mean, a lot of times they just fought super spies or mad scientists. Well, I guess a mad scientist technically would be monsterish, but sometimes they went after spies or, or just regular people doing stuff. Cowboys, you know, <laughs> Santo on a horse <laughs> on horseback. Come on. Even mm-hmm. in those cases, they're just fun. Now, granted, as a monster kid, I gravitate more toward the monster side of things, but man, I could sit back and watch some of these. I could watch four or five of these in a row and just have a blast. That's a lot of wrestling. But see, I'm a, fa- I'm a fan of wrestling, though, too. So may- maybe maybe for the non-wrestling fans. <laughs> no, nah, I love it, though. I absolutely love this, this particular subgenre. In this movie, you know, when I realized so much of it was lifted from other things, uh, the special effects shots from Plan 9, and, and you'll have to refresh my memory. We talked about Teenagers from Outer Space, which I haven't talked about here on the show proper, but I keep meaning to. What shots from that film are in this one? Well, the shot of the flying saucer coming down, and it looks like a little corkscrew. Which oh, is okay. That came from Teenagers from Outer Space. There we go. And then the shot of the saucer opening up, and then the astronaut coming out, the alien coming out. Now, there's, there's one particular shot where they have the, the spaceship coming down and the course crew. Mm-hmm. They show the close-up of the spaceship. It opens up, and the dog comes up. The dog comes out. The alien shoots it. The dog turns into a skeleton. That's almost maybe a minute and a half, a two-minute sequence there. Yeah, that's straight up. Directly from Teenagers from Outer Space, which is a film I first saw on Mystery Science Theater. That's one of my favorite Mystery Science Theater. It's just as funny without them, but it, they did a really good job with that one. Well, I think that's in the public domain, isn't it? Yeah, probably. And it's well, it's, I would hope it's, so it's, since it's a, they used it. <laughs> it's right up there with Plan Nine from Outer Space. It's really mm-hmm. good in that way. It's funny, uh, mm-hmm. unintentionally perhaps, but uh, it's good. But it's fun. Uh, yeah, it's a lot. Again, you're not bored watching it. Mm-hmm. And I, and it's funny that they would, again, with seeing that Columbia thing and thinking of all the different things they could have used if they were actually a Columbia film, makes me wonder, 
did they steal that too? Did they want people to think this was coming from the United States? <laughs> oh, that's a good point. I wonder. Although, you know, I'm looking at, I've looked at lobby cards from this because, you know, I just absolutely love the Mexican monster movie posters and lobby cards. There's just something about them. Even if it's an American release down in Mexico, they're just so cool. And one of the posters does say distributed by Columbia Pictures on it. Wow. And it does have the Columbia uh, woman on it, the statue. Okay. So may- maybe it's officially released by Columbia, and they just hoped that nobody from Universal <laughs> yeah. would see it when it came out. <laughs> yeah, you being a, a, a fan of copyright law, this is a, a big can of worms for you to look into. <laughs> yeah, I well, and, you know, maybe they just like – Listen to me try to defend them. Maybe they licensed <laughs> the album they took the soundtrack from. I don't know. <laughs> I severely doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll ask Bob. We'll ask Bob Cotter at Bash. See what he says. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a lot of fun. It, it's mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun. It's a blast to watch. The, the plot, the overall story is pretty light. But then a lot of these movies do have a pretty simple plot, which you kind of have to have for a movie like this if you're going to put as much wrestling in it as you're going to. Yeah, I thought it was funny at the very beginning, the narrator comes on and basically tells you this is what's going to happen. We got these spider people, they're from another planet, and they need human brains. So they're coming here to human brains, and we know Blue Demon's in it, so boom, that's all the story we need to know. (laughs) (laughs) And and don't worry about spoilers, because we all know that Blue Demon's going to win somehow. There was a very similar plot in Santa versus the Martian Invasion. The aliens come. They tell us exactly what they're there for. They decide that Santa is too good to kill. They need to have him. It's the same thing that happens here with Blue Demon. And just, you know, who's going to win. And I thought to myself, this is a typical cheapy invasion. And again, it's the same plot that we have in Plan 9 from Outer Space. I mean, the thing is called Plan 9. So what does the movie about? these aliens talking about their plans. Sure, you know? pretty much. <laughs> and there's no mystery to it. And I think the the better invasion films from the 50s are films that like start out like, what's going on? Like Invasion of the Body Snatchers or It Came from Outer Space. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, what is going on? And there's kind of a mystery and they're trying to solve a mystery. This is like, here's your aliens. This is what they're here to do. And um, we're going to let see what how it works out. But no one doubts that Blue Demon's going to win at the end. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll I'll tell you, when I first started watching the movie, and and the subtitling is telling me, you know, it's about, you know, these these brain whatever, I thought maybe I was watching the wrong movie. I thought maybe I switched up the discs between the one you sent me and one that I already had. Because a couple of years earlier, there was Blue Demon versus the Infernal Brains. And so I thought, well, wait, wait a minute. Is this? And then I double-checked. It's like, oh, no, no, this is the right one. Just stay tuned, Eric. It's okay. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) This one here is... Like the box that I have, there's like a little subtitle by it that says Cerebros Diabolicos, right below. It's like a little tiny sub, little tiny thing, mm-hmm. which is Diabolic Brains. Right. And Juan said something about, uh, oh, you, you should see this one too, which I think was the same one. They probably have the same story, some of the same shots, some of the same music. <laughs> I'd be interested. I'm, I'm actually interested in getting more of Blue Demon solo films. And just seeing if they are as, just as derivative. And I actually kind of like that, that they stole so much stuff. Because, again, it's like a nostalgic trip. Like, oh, I know that. Oh, I know that music. Hey, I know that. <laughs> we, might don't, we don't know any of the stars because we don't watch Mexican movie and TV that much. 
But we sure know that music, and mm-hmm. I know that special effects shot. <laughs> yep. Well, and, and speaking of the stars and the actors and actresses, I'm watching it in the opening credits. The word Frankenstein appears on screen, and I got really excited there for a minute. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, that that wasn't Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a wrestler. His name is Nathaniel Leon. Mm-hmm. He's from Veracruz, and he had uh, many film appearances. And um, he was actually on an episode of the American show I Spy. He was one of the uh, minions, kind of the, the the uglier, bald headed minion of the Spider Queen. <laughs> and all of the, I looked through uh, the database for all of the the stars, other stars of the film, Blanca Sanchez, Marta Elena Cervantes. Um, they all worked. When they started working, they didn't stop until just about until they were passed away. You see that a lot in, in Mexican entertainment where if you get a job, you hang on to it. And they have them do everything. They, most of them are also singers, dancers. They do everything. And then the director also, Federico Curiel, mm-hmm. he had directed over 73 films. And he started the Neutron wrestling series, which is some of the first wrestling movies in the early 60s. And he did all kinds of movies, so drama and comedy and lots of Santa movies. This was his only uh, Blue Demon by himself movie, but he did a lot of the Santa movies. And he worked until he passed away in, the, in 1985, I think. Mm. And his last film was 1984. So um, he made a lot of Mexican movies, Federico Curiel. Mm-hmm. So it's inter- it was interesting. I didn't recognize any of them. I have watched a lot of uh, Mexican films. When I was in Mexico City, I purchased a magazine early on in my time there called Somos, which is uh, We Are in Spanish. And in that, they had the, in this particular issue, they had the 100 best Mexican movies. So it was like the 100 best Mexican movies from the silent era till 1993, 92, 93. And I kind of made it my goal to see as many of those as I could. And I'd buy the VHS and uh, if they were at the local repertory theater, I'd go see them. If they were on TV, I'd see them. And I saw probably 80 of them. Oh, wow. I got a good balance of all of what is considered the best of a, a Mexican cinema. And, um, and again, I didn't recognize any of these stars or any of these people. Even the wrestlers weren't in the Santa movie, which I uh, covered with you, the Santa versus Martian Invasion, which had a lot of wrestlers, but none of these were in there. Mm-hmm. And um, But when you look at their credits, it's like, man, they were they they stayed busy. Yeah, they did. <laughs> and, yeah, they did. Like, a lot, they did a lot of movies. And if you look at the years, you'll see like in, this, in 65, 66, 67, There'd be five or six movies at a time, you know, they would they really pump them out. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I wonder some, if some of that has to do not just with the film industry, but with the wrestling industry as well. And, and again, you know, because I watch all this stuff and I watch a lot of the independent wrestling promotions these days, too. And I know that they don't get paid a lot, so they have to keep working. So I wonder if some of that's kind of a holdover from that, too. I think in the Mexican entertainment industry is is like that. You, If you stop, you will not be able to continue the lifestyle that you just want to live. Right. They just keep working and they work them. One of the famous uh, Mexican stars that uh, we want to get to Masha Bash sometimes, she appeared with Santo in the Santo versus uh, Vampire Women. She was in the crazy one, the singing cowboy in the Aliens. Ship of Monsters? Yeah, Ship of Monsters. So the star of uh, Ship of Monsters, and also she was with Santo and Santo versus Vampire Women, Lorena Vasquez. She is in her 80s, and she is still doing soap operas. And, and you know, which are 
they film those daily. Yeah. American soap operas. And the other, I was in a bigger town south of where I'm at now, and there was a poster of a traveling theater work that was coming, and she was in that. So she's going around doing live theater as well. Wow. And she's in her 80s. So it's amazing once they get started they don't stop because they want to live the lifestyle that they want to live and they 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 can't stop working yeah and if they if they make any kind of popularity people will keep will support them and they will be able to keep working even into their 80s it's pretty amazing well and the lifespan i suppose the lifestyle of a lot of these wrestler performers probably led to some health issues down the line it's a lot of wear and tear on your body so get it all done when you're young i guess and do six or seven movies all at once and yeah Yes, and then the Mexican wrestlers, I mean, they don't have any OSHA rules. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I I uh, am amazed at the athletic ability. Now, I was a big wrestling fan when I was younger. Uh, and I was actually in in Oregon when I was a big wrestling fan. So it was it was kind of the Northwest oh, yeah. Wrestling Foundation at that time in the early seventies was was like the starting point for many wrestlers. Oh yeah, we had a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And, and I, I, I was there in the time of Jesse Ventura was just getting started and Jimmy Snuka. And, oh, wow. And there were other ones that didn't get, become big and famous, but I still remember a lot like uh, Dutch Savage and Bull Ramos. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And I actually went to a couple of live wrestling matches at the Lane County Fairgrounds in Eugene. And I'd watched live wrestling. Portland Channel 12 would play live wrestling Saturday nights. And uh, it was pretty amazing how how it seemed real. But when you see a, a Mexican wrestling match, this the amount of jumping and crazy stuff that they do. I've never seen American wrestling. Of course, I'm not super fan where I watch it all the time. But some of the stuff that they're so athletic and they're so willing to take that risk. It's crazy. And, and then they'll cut themselves, you know, to get that blood going. They cut themselves. I watched a match that uh, Blue Demon Jr. had not too long ago within this last year. And um, he got really messed up. And I was thinking, you know, I, I feel like I know him as a friend. I'm like, oh, why would you let them do that to you? You know, you know, he's just like he was really cut up. They ripped off part of his mask and he's bleeding and everything. And I had a friend uh, in Mexico City who had wrestled small time, but uh, he knew about everything. And he talked to me about how they would have razor blades mm-hmm. and they would cut themselves or, they, you know, they, they knew when they were going to get cut and stuff so that they'd have blood and you know, get the fans going with the blood. <laughs> so, yeah. It's crazy. That's usually real stuff, man. That's it's, mm-hmm. it's a hard life and uh, a lot of wear and tear. And you go down to Mexico, those luchador, man, the lucha matches. It's not like up here where, you know, you, you wrestle around, you pin somebody and you win. It's two out of three falls. So you're, you're mm-hmm. really going at it. So yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, you know, there's a certain choreography about it that they, you know, they practice together and it, it, it's a show but sometimes yeah, you can't help but be impressed with the athletic ability that they show because they are doing stuff that they really were fighting, though. If they were actually doing some of the stuff that they are pretending to do, they'd be killing each other all the time. And there was a wrestler not too long ago that was killed, you know, four or five years ago. Oh, that's right. I don't remember his name, but that happened shortly before Blue Demon came to the Monster Bash. So people were asking him about that. And and his thing was, he died the death we all want to die. To die in the ring, that's, we know we're going to die. And that's what that's where we would want to die. So it wasn't like, again, 
showing that Mexican culture on death. It was just like, hey, he died the way he would have wanted to. Let's go on. You know, where's my next competitor? <laughs> wow. And, then, you know, it's like that that would be that. He said that would be my desire. If I would choose the way I die, it would be in the ring. That's the crazy stuff because they do crazy stuff. And if it doesn't work out the way they have practice, it w is very dangerous. <laughs> it can be. It definitely is. I mean, you, accidents happen, man. I was particularly impressed in this. I mean, the wrestling in this particular film that we were looking at yeah. wasn't as crazy as I've seen. But I, there was one little bit that I really liked where the Blue Demon jumps over a guy, like spread leg. Uh, uh, yeah. Jumps over him. I thought that was that was like my favorite little move that he did in this. You see so many of the, uh, you know, where they get the leg scissors on the head and they flip them over. Okay, we know that's rehearsed and everything, but that's still, that is, that's got to hurt. And it, can't, it can't be easy. You know, no. It can't be easy, you know, to do that. Not so. at all. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of athleticism on display in these movies, for sure. Well, in, in wrestling in general. But in these movies, they don't cheat us when it comes to the wrestling. I mean, they really do get in the ring. They really do show us that these are wrestlers that we're watching. And I really appreciated that, too. That, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you see these movies, um, you know, up here about a wrestler or whatever. And it's clearly, you know, like uh, Nacho Libre or whatever, you know, the, the Jack Black film, you know, he's not a wrestler, you know, he's not getting in the ring and really doing this stuff. So it just makes these movies that we're watching here a little bit more authentic. You know, the Luchador films, they just mm -hmm. feel a little bit more authentic and real to me. Yeah. But yeah, man, I, I just, I love these movies and this one was a lot of fun. I'm glad you picked this one. Uh, there are some, uh, let's see, you sent me some notes, and I think we've pretty much hit them all, except you mentioned a really interesting shot about 18 minutes into the film. There, like, there's this shot where the, the hand of the detective's in the camera, and he's kind of pointing, and then the camera kind of follows his finger, and he points to Blue Demon. And this film, which, you know, again, shot on the cheap, probably sh shot quick, nothing fancy about it, but to me that had like a little bit of fanciness into it, a little bit of style. Mm-hmm director was like doing something interesting uh visually <laughs> i just thought that was kind of interesting to point out it, it is cool to see these little touches here and there uh, thrown in here and i, I like that a lot mm -hmm. too that was pretty cool that was pretty cool uh, what about I, I got a kick out of the queen's lair her little set there which looks like they went to the paper store bought some styrofoam uh, balls uh blew up some balloons and uh, painted a soccer ball, nice uh, silver or gold color, uh, hung them up on strings, and you have a spaceship from Arachnid. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, and I like that the yeah the, the balls on the strings. You just move them up and down, and that's how you control the ship and everything. Uh -huh. And then, I liked that a lot. It was kind of clever, I thought actually. Uh -huh. And then of course Blue Demon when he gets in there and he knows that uh, their ship's going away. He knew the exact ball to pull down to destroy their ship. Wasn't that? Of clever? course. <laughs> well, it's Blue Demon. I mean, he knows it all, right? He can do everything. Yes. So <laughs> that's that's proof that if you want to be a filmmaker, you can make a, a Mexican luchador movie probably with uh, $15 at the 99 cent store. You can get all you can to make a nice spaceship set. <laughs> there you go. Which, again, when you compare that with the spaceship you see in... Santa versus the Martian invasion, which was basically a full blown 
set mm-hmm. very well done and and not stolen from uh, some other movie uh you can see that they spent a little bit more money on a santo film than they did the blue demon yeah <laughs> that's true that's true is there anything else about the movie we want to talk about before we go ahead and start wrapping up i think that's all i have yeah it's pretty much all i got as well um other than i highly recommend this one it is a lot of fun to watch uh the movie was not released with an american or an english soundtrack so there is no as far as i know dubbed version of it and as far as the subtitled version that kenny and i watched uh we got that from fifth dimension films i don't think it's an official subtitled release i think it was something that was kind of done after the fact um yeah it looks like that uh they they got this off the mexican tv and then but i'm gonna say this the subtitles are very accurate okay that's one of the uh the advantages i have as a spanish speaker um, I can look at the film and I can, I don't need the subtitles, but I can say that as I read them anyways, because I'm just accustomed to do that when I see a subtitle movie mm-hmm. and I can tell you the person who did the subtitles, uh, did a very good job as far oh, as, good. uh, giving you the, exactly what they're saying and the meaning of it. That's really mm-hmm. good to know. Excellent. There are times when I've seen subtitled films, the Spanish language film has been subtitled. It's like, uh, they, they didn't get that right. Uh, they didn't understand what he said there. Uh, that's not what they said, you know, but this film, um, it was very well done in that area. This particular copy that uh, Juan has at Fifth Dimension Films. Right on. And of course, you'll see him at Monster Bash and I'm, he may not have this one, but he'll have some other Luchador movies with him. I'm sure that you're going to love. Yep. And you'll see Kenny at Monster Bash. Oh, yeah. I'm ready to go. Oh, yeah. It's it's coming up here soon, man. It's coming up here soon. It's going to be a good time. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a really good time. Looking forward to it. Yep. Well, I appreciate you being part of the show. I appreciate the famous monster segments that you do all the time. I look forward to those every week, even if it's a week that we talk about a movie that's not in the magazine. I, I love what you put together for us. So I want to thank you for that. Oh, I thank you for the opportunity to do that. I'm in a job that I can't complain about, but it doesn't really have a fulfilling aspect as far as what well, I've accomplished something today. So being able to do the famous monster segment and, you know, I appreciate you never pressure me, but I like feeling like, Oh, I, I have got to get this done. <laughs> <laughs> and this, this past week, for example, I've been really into the hockey playoffs. Yes, I'm a sports fan, like uh, our buddy Steve is. But um, <laughs> but and it's like, wait a minute, this is Wednesday, and I'm like in Yuma with my daughter. It's like, wait a minute, I've got to get the segment in, you know. And I know if I didn't do it, you wouldn't yell at me or fire me or anything. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it was just like that that feeling of having to do something is something that really helps me feel like a satisfaction in my life. And I know it's just mm. a little two or three minute thing, but you're actually doing me a service by, by playing those. And I appreciate you doing that. And, uh, and the other people that do segments, I, you know, I hope they've been inspired by what, what I'm doing. And I know you could probably end up having a show full of segments, <laughs> but they're all great. And, um, and I, it's a lot of fun. And I appreciate you opening the door and letting us do that. Sure. No, and I love having it, man. I love having different voices, different points of view. And uh, you're right. It's not like I'm going to be like, hey, you're fired. The only person I ever fire is Scott. And he keeps coming back anyway. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll see you at Monster Bash in person. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Listeners, if you have a chance to get to the bash, look up Kenny, man. He's he's just a lot of fun to just hang out with it and chat. Um, well, I'm hoping I'm hoping this year the people listening are going to the bash and you know, I know they all, uh, we all have our times and everything. I'm hoping to do kind of like what you did, but focusing on 
their famous monsters memories because I haven't we haven't got a lot in the mail, but maybe I can pick some up while I'm there at the Monster Bash. Hey, there you go, there you go. My little iPhone uh, recorder and uh, see if maybe a couple people will talk to me about how famous monsters has influenced their life. That's something I want to do. That's that's what I love about this segment is eventually getting more people and just talking about how famous monsters has, was a part of their life. And hopefully we get some more people to do that. That'll be awesome. And speaking of which, listeners, stay tuned. Uh, I'll mention the contact information uh, later in this episode. If you have any comments about how Famous Monsters of Filmland impacted you, memories about the first issue you picked up or anything like that, send it in. I'll send it to Kenny and we'll turn it into a segment uh, here on the show. Sounds good. All right, Kenny. Thanks again, man. Really appreciate your friendship and your support of the show. And have a good rest of your weekend. You too. Thank you for having me. That book Kenny and I were talking about, I don't know if you've noticed, but in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net, I've got a link set up that'll take you straight to Amazon that'll let you buy the book for yourself. And if you use the link at our website at monsterkidradio.net, we get a little bit of kickback from that. It's just a couple cents because we're an Amazon affiliate, but every little bit helps. Kenny, you are the man. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this and really driving me to do this particular film. I think everybody kind of knows how much fun I had talking about it because, well, while I was editing that conversation, I had to cut out my laughter so many times because I was laughing through the entire thing. Ah, what a trip. Man, these movies are awesome. And Kenny, so are you, man. Imagine swarms of hawk-sized wasps and rats as big as panthers hunting humans in packs preying on their flesh. Now, American International brings to the screen H.G. Wells' shocking tale of an ecology gone berserk. The Food of the Gods. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. The Food of the Gods. For a taste of hell. Do you know how you'll feel when you see touch your skin it's scaled your legs they're gone your body it's cold and listen for the hissing don't say it hiss it plus another spine chilling hit the boy who cried werewolf those who didn't believe him are dead rated pg parental guidance suggested introducing archivos the story mapping and development tool for today's storytellers With Archivos, storytellers don't just document the characters, places, and events of their stories. They define the relationships between those story elements and then visualize those connections through unique story mapping interfaces like the living map, the timeline, and the story web. By giving storytellers the ability to see and interact with that network of story elements, Archivos helps ensure story comprehension and continuity while providing a dramatic and engaging way for fans to explore the story worlds they love. Learn more about Archivos at www.archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. Archivos. Your stories illuminated. Since the time of Babylon, I've walked the earth, challenging the most venturesome of men. I am this sinuous creature, a killer cat, and I'm a woman, seductive, tantalizing, inviting a lover's caress, but to caress me is to play with death. I am the mystery woman of the ages, 
feline. Fascinating. To know me is to know all my loves, all the lives I've lived, the deaths I've caused. I am the essence in woman that no man can resist. I am Cat Girl. Well, we're here at the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio, the end of Lucha de Mayo 2019. It's been quite the ride, man. It's been a lot of fun, actually. I've had a great time visiting some of these movies that I'd never seen before, like this week's movie, Hellish Spiders, and revisiting some old favorites and just chatting with fellow fans of these movies. And I hope you guys and gals have dug it, too. I know sometimes when we do these themed months, we kind of ignore the quote-unquote traditional monsters that we normally talk about here on Monster Kid Radio. So... Thanks for playing along. Let's talk about next week. Here's what's coming next week. It's a Monster Kid Radio potpourri of content. We are probably, fingers and tentacles crossed, going to have the announcement of the ballot for this year's Monster Rally Retro Awards. Or as we call them around here, the rallies. The rallies celebrate the best director, actor, actress, monster, and film from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And the way we break it down, every awards season here on the show for the rallies, we look at a particular year in each decade. And this year's years are 1935, 45, and 55. And, oh boy, the 1955 ballot is looking pretty tough. As if you guys and gals haven't had it hard enough with the Monster Movie Madness Tournament this year. I mean, there's some close calls on the ballot for a uh, while. Wow, just... Mm, stay tuned because I'm hoping to have that recorded and into next week's episode. Of course, Stephen D. Sullivan will be joining me to go over the ballot because, well, he was the genius that came up with the idea of doing multiple decades per year. Otherwise, at this point, we'd only be up to like 1935 and have a long way to go before we got into the 40s and 50s. So Steve's going to be joining me next week to talk about that. And Brenda will be back. The plan right now is that between now and next week, Brenda and I will be setting some time aside over a couple of days to record some feedback sessions for the podcast. I've got a number of emails that I am sitting on that I am dying to go over with Brenda. And if you want to get in on that hot feedback action, send me an email. It's monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Or you can call in and leave a voicemail on our voicemail line. It's 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. If you want to talk about anything that happened during Lucha de Mayo or anything else that's happened on Monster Kid Radio or things that are coming up, feel free to send in your feedback because I'd love to include it in next week's episode of Monster Kid Radio. Plus, depending on how things go, there may be a few extra things going on next week as well. You're just going to have to stay tuned to monsterkidradio.net to find out what those things are going to be. Monsterkidradio.net is where you can find links to everything that we've talked about here in the show notes. I still have some things on eBay, so you can click there and check out what I've got for sale there. I already mentioned the Amazon links, and I've got a link that'll take you to my book on Amazon as well. If you want to buy a copy of my book, Monster Hunter for Hire, the first installment of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files series, five short stories, six bucks for a print edition, $2.99 for an ebook, or if you're part of Kindle Unlimited, well, it doesn't cost you anything. I know I've been playing the promo quite a bit here on the show. Thanks for indulging me. I'm pretty proud of the book. It's my first book to come out like this, and uh, well... I'm thrilled to share it with people. If you want an autographed copy of the book, well, email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com and we'll make arrangements to make that happen. I don't charge for the autograph. It'd just be like $6 plus like 
$3 for shipping. So yeah, just drop me a line if you want an autographed copy of the book as well. I mentioned the Monster Movie Madness Tournament, and you'll notice that we didn't talk about the results of round four in this week's episode, and that's because I haven't met with Steve Turek yet online to review those results. That's actually happening later this week, and then this weekend, the hope is, is to get the episode out and then to announce who's moving on to round five. It's getting down to the monster nitty-gritty, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, I'm excited to see how this whole thing pans out. And I think that's really about it. So why don't we go ahead and wrap up the show by reminding you that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to Professor Frenzy's bedtime stories. That is copyright Jerry Green. And the song that's featured this week, Hyperspaced Out. It is from the band The Cosmic Rays. It's on their album, The Cosmic Rays Are Go. You can find them at cosmicrays.bandcamp.com. Com or just go straight to their website at CosmicRays.com. Or if you're in Everett, Washington, make sure you check out their live show June 8th at the Blue Moon Lounge at 8 p.m. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name's Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Bye. It's adios. It's Lucha de Mayo, Brenda. Say it right, or I'm not ending the show this week. <laughs> just going to keep on going. Yeah. Adios. Adios.